Hi, good morning and welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. We are here for our 60 second show, heading to 100. And today we have a special guest from Germany, Alex Kahn's. Hi, Alex, how are you? Hi, hi, hi. Thank, thank you, so, thank you much. so much. Yeah, no problem. So to start things off, Alex, can you give a bit of background about yourself? Challenge. So I started a podcast last year. It's called Proof of Talk. And we launched the English version just a couple of weeks ago. So that's where I'm coming from. Let's see. So perfect. So, so let's talk about Bitcoin as well. I was actually giving a bit of background to yourself till you came back in there again, Alex. So let's talk about the, you know, the significance of Bitcoin, when you were involved and why it's important from a technology perspective rather than just from most people talking about it as a commodity. I think from the technology point of view, it's very important because this is where it all started. I think this is the starting point of Metaverse Web3, all that we are talking about now every day. Because without what Satoshi Nakamoto did there and invented, without the very first Genesis block, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't be talking about all these different cryptocurrencies and everything. So I think Bitcoin is not only super important because it gives us a choice, but it is also super important because it's brought technology to us that we are now using for so many different use cases. And we are still so early. We don't even know what the future will bring. We don't have the slightest idea. And I think it's like a pool of ideas he gave to us and the opportunity to really develop something new and to have community-based options in the future, maybe even. Yeah, so so talk about when you first got involved in it, because I saw from another podcast it was back in 2015. Yeah, sure. I got involved because I'm really deep into the ideology. Uh, I thought when I discovered Bitcoin, okay, that's nice. And I fell deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. And I just couldn't stop it anymore because I was finding out about the gold standard, about so much stuff that I would never have touched base with unless I would have been uh, somehow discovering Bitcoin. So I was, from my personal point of view, I was searching for alternatives because I was very unhappy with everything, with the status quo back in Germany. Um, maybe this is even related to me as a mom, as a single mom. And I was searching for opportunities to change my life. And I was looking for schools and I couldn't find something fitting for us. I was looking into investment and I was like, I don't really get anything of that. And if I get it, I don't want it. So I was searching all over the place and Bitcoin was there and it was the answer for everything I was searching for, basically. And it still is, I must say. Yeah, so, so you know, we, we talk about Bitcoin being like digital gold, you know? So, and I know a lot of people say, well, it's digital gold, it's fool's gold. But essentially, gold is fool's gold. It's like a shiny rock, <laughs> you know, we don't use for basically anything, you know, and then the Arabs love it more than anyone else. But, you know, ultimately, if people think about it, well, that does, that's not how it works because it was fool's gold and now it's digital gold. But it essentially start to think about this digital gold coming in and as a technology, where will its applications go? I think we are just seeing the beginning of everything. And I think when we talk about digital gold, 
I think Bitcoin is much more than that because with layer two solutions like like, like Lightning, we can use Bitcoin as a payment system right now. I do that, like maybe not on an everyday basis, but I do it regular. And I have a lot of friends who became Bitcoiners after I've been convincing them for quite some time to just try it. And it's so easy. It's really so much easier than going to the bank and doing all of that stuff and the paperwork and everything. You can just go online and do your thing. You don't need your ID. You don't need anything, basically. It's the on and off ramping that is a bit of a hustle, I think. But if you're in Bitcoin, you can stay there and you can just live your life there. I always say I can just get naked and walk uh, over the border to El Salvador and start a completely new life with just my Bitcoin key inside my head. And that's it. And this kind of vision I want for my life. I want it because I really feel like we're in such a chaotic time. And this brings some kind of peace to my to my mind. So I can say, okay, it doesn't matter what is happening. Bitcoin is always an option to opt out. Even we don't know who really Satoshi Nakamoto is. Could be that it's a huge trap and somebody is fooling with us. I don't know. But right now it doesn't look like that. So I just enjoy this little peace of mind that we have there in, in form of digital gold that is more than digital gold. Basically, it's everything. Yeah, and so for people to understand but other cryptocurrencies coming up there behind Bitcoin, because obviously there's only going to be one Bitcoin. And, you know, after Bitcoin came along, there was this big, um, you know, we wanted to do stable coins for every single industry. And it didn't really work out in terms of, you know, because essentially once things benchmarked against the dollar, how many stable coins do we actually really need, you know, for the benefit of that? But what other sort of cryptocurrencies do you think people should be aware of and which ones are going to get bigger over the next, uh, say, 36 months? Hmm. I think it's always a good idea to look at the maybe 20, 25 biggest cryptocurrencies out there. And then you need to have a look at the use cases because from my point of view, I would not recommend any cryptocurrency besides Bitcoin. But if you are in, uh, if you are searching for something interesting, you always can have a look at Ethereum because there are so many use cases. This is basically a smart contract platform where everything is like layered up. And there is so much diversity into how we can use that blockchain technology besides financial. It's crazy. And then we have this fun part, like there are so many fun currencies out there. And if you just want to have fun and have a look, and it's getting more and more serious. And I think we will see the blue chips surviving that crypto winter. And what comes out will be there likely for quite some time. And right now, I would just concentrate on the biggest players, like who's investing and um, what are the, the teams behind the currency really doing? Because we see a lot of stuff going on in Africa, led by Cardano. And I think... Why not have a look inside uh, the ecosystem of that? Because they're into the metaverse as well. There are so many projects. They are more diversifying at the moment and they're spreading into not only financial, but metaverse, social. And I think it's endless. And I really think have a look at the biggest player, have a look at what is interesting to you, and not necessarily about um, where it, I don't know what the media is uh, telling you, what YouTubers are telling you to do. That is not always a good idea, but have a look where the money is flowing, where are the big investors going. And this is 
definitely the ones who are providing us with use cases. Yeah, exactly. So I think in the States anyway, you know, obviously Ethereum is getting bigger and bigger because so many people are starting to use the use cases for that. And, you know, in the oil and gas industry, that's, you know, that's my traditional background in energy industry. You know, the tokenization platforms are all running on Ethereum. The Essentially, the smart contracts that are coming in that are all running on Ethereum as well. And then people need to understand that, you know, that the adoption of smart contracts Essentially, 10 years from now, there won't actually be such a thing as an invoice. Now, people will be sitting there thinking, how can that be the case? But but essentially, what a smart contract will do is it means when the goods and services are delivered on site and the smart contract's agreed and it's on a blockchain, whether it's a permission or a public blockchain, it'll automatically be executed and then you will be paid instantaneously for your goods and services. So there will be no longer this 30-day, 60-day, you know, if you start working with BP and Shell and Exxon Mobil, 180 days, <laughs> you know, so because they, you know, that's how it works in the oil industry. So you're waiting all this time to get paid from these companies. They'll pay you from executing. Now, you people might think, well, well, wait a minute. I would rather hold on to this money in my bank for that 180-day period. But I sat in a, a panel with Saudi Aramco, essentially the biggest oil company in the world, uh, you know, turn over a trillion dollars a year. They think they could save up to 8 to 11% of their fixed costs by moving to smart contracts in the next 10 years. So if you're a trillion dollar company and you think you're going to save 8% of your fixed costs, Essentially, if you're working in uh, administration, back-end accounting, you know, your job's potentially on the line or it will have to change. That's what will happen. These things will change. But ultimately, that's just one specific use case of this technology. So when people start thinking about it, why is it going to come in? Well, I'm talking about one use case. You're talking about this being the start of everything and having millions of use cases and this is why this technology isn't going to go away and it's just become mainstream from there. So if I just move on to our next topic then, Alex, let's have a look of the Metaverse Web 3.0 and the digital economy. So can you give your background for this? Because people are starting to hear about this and hopefully Mark Zuckerberg's not going to run the whole thing. Yeah, I really hope that too. Yeah, so my background on that basically is I'm running a podcast and my favorite subject and my favorite topic is basically Web3 and Metaverse. Not only because uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Microsoft and Google are investing millions into that field, but because I really think that this is a community-based approach to the next phase of the internet. So why not being uh, like the pioneers in there and being like the opt-out option like Bitcoin, but for the metaverse, for Web3. So I'm really interested in uh, providing educational content. So I'm following what is happening there a lot so I can provide other people with information, tips and anything basically for them to get started when it comes to Web3 and metaverse. Because for some people, it's just a buzzword but it's not anymore. We are already there. I uh, like the term, uh, we are at web 2.5. And this is exactly, I think, where we are. And we just need a little push here and there to get everyone going, but maybe not led by Mark Zuckerberg or big companies. Maybe this is something we can do very individually. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a decentralization of the, the whole blockchain, that word decentralization or decentralized allows people to start to use this technology. 
So, so let's just break it down. So if we think of the metaverse first, give a bit of description about the metaverse and maybe the barriers that's going to stop us adopting this. Yeah, I think what we are now working with are platforms, uh, special Web3 platforms. Let's call it like that. Um, it's more like Web3 is the infrastructure and Metaverse is the place where we meet, where we are going to go shopping, where we have a look at our vacation uh, beforehand, before we book anything. We can go there and have a look. So it's this huge virtual world, which is not really... Um, like uh, it's not unnecessary to live in this physical world we know but it's a huge plus to go there because it's boundaryless and it's really open for everyone and anything it's like this vortex we all maybe dreamed about as a kid we can really create anything there and we can really connect there like um from my point of view, uh, we have now a lot of Metaverse Island projects. They are not really connected and they are not really providing this whole economy, how we know it from our physical world yet. But I think this is changing because we see a lot of digital art in the Metaverse. We see a lot of people starting to work in the Metaverse. So it's maybe we're super, super, super early when it comes to Metaverse. But I think it will... Um, it, there will be a ripple effect because there are so many people out there working from home now doing remote virtual work and it's getting more and more and more because why not and a lot of companies are really interested in shifting into the metaverse into the virtual digital world so i think the hardest thing out there is maybe education because where to start if you're not really from the blockchain space or maybe from technology background or software or anything like that, why should you just have a look at the metaverse? Maybe it's uh, it's the fun that brings us there. Maybe it's TV, it's fashion, it's shopping. It's not even the educational part. It's not even, oh, I want to work in the metaverse. But this is maybe how we can use it to really better our lives instead of just going shopping, which is the fun part. But maybe this is what people really what really is uh, like maybe boundary crossing you know what i mean like um, if we provide fun the people will come to the metaverse and they will discover it and they will see the benefits this is providing us but until uh, everybody's ready for the metaverse there needs to be so much more education out there and as you said decentralized education and not necessarily education from mark zuckerberg or google or microsoft or other big players out there yeah, I've seen Mark Zuckerberg's recent avatar and he's, he looks pretty muscly, you know what I mean, like Captain America. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it is, uh, that's the, it's certainly the image he's trying to portray. So if you think about, so if you think like Web 1.0, Web 2.0, Web 3.0, just break that down for people to understand what is your uh, understanding of each part of this and when did it come in? Yes, yes. So I think uh, Web 1 was what we all knew. Like when I was maybe like eight years old, I still remember I had the very first computer out there. My uncle was deeply into technology. So he was like, yeah, here, kid, this is a computer. Use it wisely. And I had access to the internet. It was still like me when you connected. So it was very basic. You really couldn't do anything out there. And what we see now is very much more connected 
and maybe not really interactive in the terms of what we might experience in the future, but Web2 is what we know today. It is um, part of our life already, but it's not really like we cannot live without it. So, and I think what we are experiencing right now is maybe 2.5. We already are shifting into the Web3 world step by step, even if we don't know it, we are super early, this is why. And I think Web3 will be not only decentralized, but interactive. And this is what we are maybe missing now in Web2 because it's not decentralized and it's not so interactive. Maybe some of us feel like it's interactive because it's fun, but if we step outside of gaming, what do we have? Like, not so much fun. So I think Web3 will be very community-based, decentralized and interactive in a way we cannot imagine right now. Yeah, and I think for, you know, coming from a finance background is it's a bit like finance and the internet as well. So, you know, it's information's come there. Now this finance has come on the internet and then all this technology is coming out and people are starting to understand it. And I think the word token is going to be more and more prevalent going forward and the word tokenization and moving away people, just the word cryptocurrency, because there's a lot of confusion with cryptocurrencies and fiat currency, where I think, you know, what we'll find over the next uh, coming months from the regulators is that, you know, out of the 14,000 cryptocurrencies, about 13,900 were actual securities. <laughs> and it doesn't matter which part of the world you're in, you know, you're, you're going to be dealing with a regulator. Whereby these were the word token, and people can understand tokens, and tokens can represent assets. So wait a minute, these are tokenized assets, a token. I can start understanding it because essentially a token can provide me distributions where a cryptocurrency doesn't. So and they, they call them distribu distributions in the same way a share provides dividends. And that's going to start letting people understand. And I think it's a barrier that stopped a lot of people diving into this technology is because they've been so confused with the word cryptocurrency because they think of it like fiat currency. So they just want to just stick their head in the sand about every other you know, use case of this technology. But once they get over that initial barrier, it starts to go forward. And, you know, I say it all the time in terms of driving a car. You know, I have no idea how a carburetor works. But I don't sit there and turn the engine thinking, is the carburetor work? How will it work? It just works. Then I drive and go from A to B. And I think the way the human mind works is we want to understand everything until we're using it. Like most people don't know how the internet works. We just know whether it's 5G, 4G, it's going slow, I can't download my movie. We don't understand how this pixelation of information moves along a fiber line and comes up on another screen somewhere across the world instantaneously. It's just we use the internet. And I think the blockchain's starting to work like that as well, Alex, in terms of now we're starting to use it. I don't worry too much technically how it actually works. I just want to use it. And it's the same with your iPhone and stuff like that as well. So so that's interesting. So let's move on to our next cat, uh, topic here is blockchain and education. So uh, we had Principal Z uh, came on and spoke about how he was getting involved in blockchain and education uh, in New York State, and he was an educator for 20 years, and they're starting to use this technology. But I know you're working on a very interesting project yourself with your, your own uh, son as well, Alex, and what you've done. So so give a bit of background in why education you wanted to change from your child, what it is you're doing different, and how you're actually growing this model. Yeah, sure. 
So when my child was born, I was pretty sure the first second, okay, this is the unschooling child. He was so small and tiny, and I just couldn't imagine myself getting, giving him to school, even though I, I, I knew he would be much older by then. So we have been living in Berlin for six years, and within the six years, we visited 35 schools and a lot of democratic libertarian schools, and they weren't democratic they weren't libertarian they weren't free there was nothing it was still the old school system that already traumatized me so i wasn't i was very sure this is nothing for my son because he's a very free and his kindergarten was a libertarian kindergarten he could do whatever he wanted and so i just couldn't take this away from him anymore I really tried, and but he told me every school we entered, he was like, oh, I hate it here, I hate it here, I feel like a slave. So I was like, okay, basically this was my dream all along to travel the world and educate him on the go. And I really believe in if someone is interested in something and he's not broke or she is not broken inside and is quite healthy, this uh, human being is going to go for it. And I discovered that this is true. My son is going to go for whatever his interest is, uh, where it's leading him. So he's uh, maybe a researcher by nature, and I'm just providing the content. If he has a question, it's like, okay, uh, I'm not a teacher. Uh, I am a teacher. I'm a German teacher. But uh, I was like, okay, if you want to know something, I will get the resources. We have the internet. This world is full of genius people who we can ask. And so... We've been traveling for quite some time, and when he got older, like maybe seven or eight, he was eight, I felt like now he needs like the social group, and when they are younger, it doesn't matter so much. They are just happy with their mom or their dad or both, and after that, I discovered, okay, they need a peer group to really learn from each other as well, so uh, while Corona hit the world, we have been in lockdown at the Canary Islands, and I discovered, okay, I love it there. I will move there. So we just stayed, and we are still residents there, and the educational system is quite open-minded there. So if you provide any kind of proper education to your child, whatever that is, uh, it's fine for the government. So we just collected, gathered some kind of like-minded families that are into that. So we started like a little unschooling, free schooling project where the kids are very free. And I discovered like if I really want him to be the best version of himself and he needs to be ready for what is out there, I need to teach him what I do learn right now. So if I learn about Bitcoin and I build a node, he's by my side, he's doing it. And if I learn about blockchain, how this is working, and if I uh, have uh, like... Uh, if I'm working on something that is uh, quite, even when it's um, quite difficult, I need to break it down to explain it to my listeners, to my readers. So my son is always my go-to person to explain something to. So if I can explain it to my son, I'm good at it. I know it. Uh, I can explain it to someone else. So he knows everything I know, basically. And I teach him because if he's going to go out there and Mark Zuckerberg is telling him, oh, hey, I got the perfect option for you here. You can just choose my metaverse. My son will always know uh, to check uh, the facts and how everything's working in the background. And I really think uh, the school system, as we know it today, especially in Germany, it's outdated. We are not providing enough educational 
content we're providing maybe even uh, traumatizing children um and it's not really if i when i left school i wasn't ready for life not at all so why have i been like sitting there nine years of my life um in this uh, high school and, and it was a private school it was a good school and it, it was nine years for what and basic education is fine but this nine years afterwards for what so i decided every child should have a chance to really learn what they need in life and they need to learn what we are using now what we're early in now because this will be for them like the the best benefit ever if they finish school they don't they they know math they know languages and everything but they also know technology so why not we are living in a digital world we can travel the world why not teach our children everything that comes across this is what i think yeah so, so what have you done for your school out in the Canary Islands then? Give a bit of background of what's happened with that. Yes, yeah, so we just try to see what uh, the children are interested in. And we just try to provide as much uh, content as possible. If they're asking for, hey, how is podcasting working? I'm like, okay, I will open up my office for a couple of hours every week they can come in and they can have a look i will explain everything they can try everything out same thing goes for the metaverse if they're interested in learning about the metaverse I, we will provide them with the educational uh, content of course they have the technology they need to have to explore everything on themselves they always have like at least two or three i don't want to call it teachers but um, yeah let's call them teachers, but uh, they are not really leading the way. They're just providing information. So this is what we try. If there's something else out there and really uh, something important happening in technology, in anything, we just try to provide the infrastructure to learn and just leave it from there because kids are so smart. If you let them, if, they, if you let them be smart, you don't really have to put everything in their face and shovel it up there because this is not really what they want. They want to be free, they want to be loved and they want to, to explore the world. And if you just let them do that, it's working out. Yeah, and I think from Principal Z's argument was that the traditional educational system is designed for the industrial age. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and we've moved on from the industrial age. So basically we were getting assigned doing some sort of um, memory test to essentially put us into sort of little modules, you know? So we were in a little module and then we're just working through this module and then suddenly we'll go and work in some company and we'll have our little piece and we'll just start working in there. And if you're good at this memory test, then essentially you will get higher up on the, uh, the ladder. But if you're not good at memory test or you struggle with exam anxiety, and then essentially you get put down, whereby, you know, um, if you're thinking of like individual education programs that, you know, we spoke about offline, my oldest child's autistic and he's got an IEP, they call it here, but it's actually a good system because essentially now you've got a, an educational system specific to your child and he's no longer getting matched against his peer evaluation, which can be so detrimental to young children is how are you evaluated against your peers? So it should really be evaluated against your own individual progress 
and you shouldn't be marked down just because you're not great at spelling, say. Because, you know, now you've got uh, Google basically corrects your spelling anyway. The Google American Google's not so good because they corrects my Scottish English into American English with the bad spellers that are out here. But ultimately, you know, why are we tested on that anymore? You know, it's, it's just coming into that as well. So how is your school developed? How many children are in your school right now then, Alex? Um, I think we have 15 to 18 children, and what I like to call it, it's decentralized education, decentralized learning, basically. Yeah, this is how it's going, but uh, we see a lot of more traction coming there, and we are thinking about founding another school for the elderly because we saw that they have different needs from the little ones, and we just go with the flow. I like to say that as well, because... Um, Everything is so static, like the traditional school system. You have to do this when they tell you. But basically, this is not how I work as a human being. I don't really like to be told what I need to do. And if I'm not ready to do it yet, and if I'm ready to learn something else instead, why is that bad? I don't really see that. So this is what we try to provide for the elder children. Um, more resources, more physical resources, for example, and even more input from worldwide. I really like to travel with my child to put him in different surroundings, to make him meet up with different uh, children from all around the world and to make him speak more English because he's fluent in German and Spanish, of course, but English is always like, huh, nobody speaks English there. So we try to open that up way more. We are inviting other schools uh, with their elder children to exchange because they always have different ideas because they are growing into different cultures. So we try to keep it as open as possible, as fluid as possible. And um, we just try to see the children's needs really and provide so much content, maybe sometimes even too much, but uh, they can still sort it out. And we just try to build like an educational nest where they sit in and just pick the pieces they really want. And we see it's going great because they all are able to read. They are all fluent in at least two languages. Most of them are fluent in three languages now and they don't lack anything. They are far more educated than what is normal for their age. And they are happy and they are playing a lot, you know. So uh, like 50% of school day is just playing outside, building stuff they want to build and with no pressure. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I'm learning three languages at a young age as well. And it's also people need to understand that, you know, my, old, my youngest son's seven now and, I, you know, I was reading a statistic and Principal Z was saying that, that 90% of the jobs that they'll be doing by the time they're in their early 20s, don't even exist yet. So all this metaverse, Web3, digital economy, you know, these jobs aren't even invented yet. So, you know, if we're going, and that's his biggest concern, we're, we're basically going down an educational system, creating an educational system for jobs that we used to do 30 years ago, not for the future and this future economy and this digital economy coming up. And, you know, people might say, well, I don't believe that. But if you think about how the internet impacts your current job right now if you said to people 20 years ago you know you can basically run everything from your iphone then you know people wouldn't believe you but that's just the way the world is and i think uh, education needs to change with that you know 
So, so let's as we're bringing along coming to, to the end of the the podcast. You know, we noticed you've got a, a libertarian viewpoint. We'll obviously get cancelled for this in certain platforms over in America, but that's okay. So, you know, but that's good that you put your libertarian on your uh, li- uh, LinkedIn profile. Um, so, give a bit of background. You know, why you're a libertarian and what is your libertarian viewpoint for people to understand? Yes, yeah, sure. When I discovered Bitcoin, I was I didn't know what I was basically, and I didn't care. But when I fell down that rabbit hole and still falling, I think I discovered that I'm really interested in free lifestyle because I was always told what to do by the government. You need to bring your kid to school. You need to do that. You need to do that. So, and I really believe that we are maybe not all of us, but me personally, I'm capable of doing my own decisions. I want to do that, and why not? And while seeing my child getting older and older and being very responsible, like way more responsible than normally the the like grown-ups I meet, uh, I was like, okay, maybe we're heading in the, into a wrong direction. They're taking away so much responsibility from everyone. And maybe we need to free that up a bit. So when I was uh, still a crypto journalist, when I started working in 2017, I had an interview with John McAfee and he really deeply impacted me on that. And we talked for one and a half hours, maybe, although we just did like 30 minutes of interview. And he was talking a lot about his plans and how he wants to change the world. And I was really feeling that vision. And I do not lack interest in in like big ideas but i i rarely see something that i'm really burning for but for bitcoin i was burning and for what he told me i was really burning and i was like i really want to see the world how he sees it i really want to see that change and he was running for president and it was quite sometime before i think he was running for president and he was uh, telling me about his ideas and i felt like i want to live in the world that he is creating so I discovered, okay, maybe I'm a libertarian. I never thought about it, but maybe this is it. And since I know that, I was able to connect to so many great people out there with the same vision, the, the same burning for freedom, the same burning for uh, their own responsibility, basically, <laughs> that we are born with, but have been taken away. So I think that's my libertarian background. John McAfee was a huge point of that. Yeah, so, um, you know, when I was the chief blockchain policy advisor for uh, Adam Kokesh and John McAfee, uh, when we was running for the 2020 election, what was interesting about, you know, for libertarian, when people talk about it, it's, it's essentially, it's like, you get to live your life your way, I get to live my life my way, and as long as I don't have, you know some sort of detrimental effect to society. You know, essentially, I'm happy for you to live your life your way as long as I'm happy lived my life that way. And, you know, to me, that's the essence of people being libertarian. So a lot of people out there will think, well, wait a minute, that's the way I want to live my life. The problem is that when people are starting to live this individual way, to try to bring it all to one message... You know, and I, I honestly, I've, I've sat in some of the California Libertarian Party, like, Zoom calls, and it's like 120 people all arguing their own viewpoint. <laughs> so, so it's going like this. So that, you know, so it's, it's difficult to get a consistent messaging, whereby if you think of Republican and Democrats in the uh, US right now, 
you know, the one thing with the party, you know, I like a lot of the policies from the Republican Party and I like a lot of the, the liberal policies from the Democrat Party. And I'm actually both. You know, that's the thing that people annoys people. I'm actually both. Um, when it comes to fiscal policies, I like the Republican thinking. When it comes to a lot of the liberal and arts policies, I'm very much Democrat in my thinking there. But then I have to choose. And whichever side I choose, I've got to follow every single policy they go with. And I don't want to think like that. I want to think my own way. I, you know, to me, politics is about policy. And you should basically have your own decision process on every single policy out there. And I think that's what brought me to the Libertarian Party as well. But because of that type thinking and because the way they want to push you in there and the difficulties with the Libertarian Party getting a foothold in the American system, it, it means that this type of thing gets pushed down. And, you know, a lot of the Democrats, you know, they don't mind the Libertarian Party because they see it as sort of like you're sort of, you know, pot-smoking Republicans, and then they take votes away from Trump. So Joe Jorgensen, that Trump bashed throughout the 2020 election, you know, they should be thanking her because if they all voted Republican, he would have won. <laughs> but there was a lot of different places where they voted for Spike, they voted for Joe Jorgensen, and that allowed, um, you know, Biden to get in in those states. And people don't think that. And then you've got Andrew Yang coming up. So he's got his new forward party. And I, I like Andrew Yang. And a lot of he talks about blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto, maybe more so. Uh, but he's coming from a democratic perspective. And what you're finding is the CNN and that when they get him on, even though he ran for the Democrat Party, they liked him before. He's got the Yang gang. They're basically saying, oh, wait a minute. You're not allowed to vote for Andrew Yang because it might help Trump get in. So it's weirdly, the weird thought process is that the Democrats will actually prefer the Libertarian Party to the forward party of Andrew Yang because essentially he might take Democrats to vote for him. And that's just a two-party system. So, so how does the, you know, just to, to finish it off, how does the political party system operate in Germany? Because a lot of Americans don't really understand it. Basically, everyone can start in politics. We have these political parties and you can be part of that and you can work your way up. And there are so many of them. Uh, I'm not really a fan of voting. So I went there just to have a look at how many parties are there. What can I choose? And it's an endless ladder of options, basically. We have everything from animal welfare to it's uh, to holistic stuff. So the, basically they are like democratic and social. They're really big back there in Germany. And we have like um, Green Party and this kind of stuff. So this is quite big. And it's always like they have to get along with each other because uh, no party is getting all of the votes, of course. So it's always like a mesh up. Um, we call it traffic light system because it's always red, green and yellow that comes together and they have to get along and they do need to discuss everything. And basically it's very open. So if you want to end up in politics, you definitely have the chance. And there are so many people I know from my childhood, they started uh, being interested in politics and they uh, entered different parties and they worked their way up and they really change something maybe uh, just on a city-based level but some got higher and have this communal uh, com communal 
based uh, party system even. So I think it's really, uh, if you want to call this uh, democratic, it's democratic. Um, even though maybe if we want to see it in a bigger picture, I don't know how democratic politics are in general, but this is very open-minded and everyone can be there and start a party and get votes and everything. I think, of course, it's still a hassle because you need funding and everything, but in general, it's very free. Yeah. And then, you know, the coalition governments that work there and more free thinking, I think it's here, it has to be, and it's the UK system is a bit like that as well, but the, the UK system allows other parties to come into it, whereby, you know, when you're coming to the US and the US system, I didn't realise how difficult it is out with the two main parties. You know, but then they're not obviously going to want to change that rule because, you know, if you're one of the other parties, you're not going to change the rule to have like creating coalitions, etc. as well. But it allows people to see that there's other democracies working out there. And I think it, you're still going to get political divide, but at least you get to vote for who you want, you know, traditionally in the UK and Germany and these places, whereby I think uh, what's happening in America right now is, you know, you've got the extremes in either side of the party pushing the agenda. And then from that perspective is, you know, it's just basically pushing hate on the other guy. You know, it's not, nobody really pushes how good Biden is and pushes how good Trump is. They just push how much they hate the other guy. So if you go to the likes of Fox News or you go to uh, CNN, you know, they're, they're not really pumping on about how uh, good their guy is. They're basically now just choosing the other guy. And then the problem is that once you're in power, you're there to be shot, you know, and then it comes back to this same thing. So, you know, the election's coming up again in America. They're starting to push it. I know Trump's thrown his hat back in the ring again. But, you know, ultimately, it'll just start to push, alienate people again, based on, you know, I hate my neighbor, you know, even though you go to the same schooling system, you do everything together, just on, you know, what TV channel you, you actually watch, whether it's Rupert Murdoch's or not, basically. So it's, uh, it's an amazing system. So it's, uh, it's good to see that there's other educational systems out there. And I think, um, you know, the, the libertarian viewpoint is just going to get more popular and going forward, and it might be 50 years before it actually comes into fruition. But essentially, it's it's an interesting time for everyone out there. And as more people get involved in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, etc., they become more open-minded into terms of what financial systems are out there and how they can change. Suddenly, their political viewpoints start to change as well. And it's just a case of it's, you know, and, and I think political viewpoints, we should have discussions. You're not going to agree with everyone in anything anyway. You know, if it's like Netflix, it's like, you know, there's two million things to watch on Netflix is we don't all have to watch the one thing. So why does it come to politics? We have to vote for two things. So I think Germany's systems, definitely it's uh, more advanced and more inclusive than the current U.S. system. So just to finish things off then, Alex, what would you like to finish with and how will people get to find out more information on what you're up to? Yeah, yeah you should definitely, definitely um, give, give our, our podcast, podcast a try. try. We are, we are now planning season two. two. Um, we, will we will be publishing, publishing the new episodes, I think, in February and, and we'll, we'll be adding to the direction of free and metaverse and have a look at what's uh, happening, happening in the economy, economy next year. year. Mm-hmm. 
Excellent. So we'll, we'll put links in the, the show notes below so anyone can find you from there, Alex. And then obviously we'll put links to your uh, profile and LinkedIn and other social media channels if people want to reach out to you. So, well, thanks very much for coming on the show today then, Alex. I really appreciate that. What's the weather like in Germany before we go? It's, it's minus 11 Minus 11. For people in the US, that's about 14 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's pretty cold for anyone out there, even for people in the East Coast. Okay, well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Alex. That's been really interesting. Best of luck with your uh, blockchain education system and your upcoming podcast. Thanks to everyone who tuned in today. You've been watching Boom, It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.